Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, reading from verse 13. We're going to go into chapter 4 this morning. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. The voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. <coughs> they say that when you get old, Time seems to go even quicker than it did when you were young. And I can't believe this morning that it is five weeks since Pentecost Sunday. That you might believe that and understand it perfectly well. Just think that it's an old man speaking to you this morning. But it's just a surprise to me that it's already five weeks. And if you were here on that morning, you'll remember we spoke from Peter's words in Acts chapter 2, where he talked about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he said to the listening crowd... The promise is to you and to your children, to all who are afar off, to as many as the Lord our God shall call. And we saw that we are included in that. The fullness of all that God wants to do in us by his spirit, it's available to us. And I reminded you of a prophecy that we'd received that morning from a man called Martin Scott. The prophecy was given several years beforehand, and it was over one of the mums in our church. And I do believe it's for all of us, and it is for today. And he said this, these things, the things of the Spirit, they are for you, declares the Lord, and they are for your children. They are for you, and they are for your children. I honestly think we need to wrestle with God in prayer for the fulfillment of those words. Then the following Sunday, and yes, even at my age I can remember the following Sunday, we spoke from John chapter 7. And you'll remember it was the last and greatest day of the feast. And Jesus stands up and he says in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, he meant spiritually thirsty, if anyone is looking for the truth, if anyone wants to know the reality that ordinary water cannot give, let them come unto me and drink. For he who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being, rivers of living water will flow. 
We asked ourselves the question, have we ever fully experienced that? Was it hyperbole? Or is there more of God and of his spirit that we could seek after and experience for ourselves? And if you'd attended church only on those two Sundays, you'd think that all we ever talk about was the Holy Spirit. Just on about him again. But I want to say to you this morning, we define ourselves as what you would call a word and spirit church. Now, if you want to travel around Leeds, you'll find lots of churches who would say, yes, we're word and spirit. So I need to define that for you this morning in a very simple way. I think a word and spirit church is really a church where the word of God is not only read or listened to, but it's allowed to shape our lives. It's allowed to shape my decision making. It shapes my relationships. It may even shape, probably will shape, how I use my money, where I spend it, and what on. The Word of God, if it is honestly the Word of God, it shapes my life. That's what a Word and Spirit church is. And a Word and Spirit church is not a church that simply knows that there is a Holy Spirit and mentions Him in a benediction, but a church that seeks to know and experience His power and presence in their lives individually. Word and spirit coming together. And I think, you see, that's the example that Jesus left with us. And I may say this to you this morning rather clumsily, perhaps. I think Jesus was a person of word and spirit. We read in chapter 3 at Matthew's Gospel that at his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes down upon him in the form of a dove. We don't actually know what that means. It's not explained to us. What took place there? It's very probable it was confirmation that the Father and the Spirit were confirming and initiating the ministry of Jesus the Son. Nonetheless, in the next chapter, we begin to read, or in the next verses, that Jesus is led by the Spirit into a desert place. And we also need to be led in our lives by the Holy Spirit as we listen to the Word of God. And we know also that Jesus was obviously Someone who declared the word. Alongside the ministry of the Spirit in his life, Jesus also knew what we must remember. And here is my theme this morning. The word of God is our authority in the moment. The word of God is our authority in the moment. Three times in chapter 4, Jesus says, it is written, in the end, Satan leaves him. And that's why it's so important for us to realize that the word of God is our authority in the moment. In 2005, a writer and philosopher called Alain de Botton wrote a book. And the book was called Status Anxiety. And his premise was this, that we in the West and also many people in emerging countries, they realize or they understand that the status that they're held in by other people depends on the job that they do. And people live with a status anxiety. They're desperate not to lose their job. They're desperate not to lose their power, not to lose the position they have, just in case they go down in the estimation of other people. It's status anxiety. People live with it all the time. And I think for some Christians, there can be a status anxiety as far as how we stand before a holy God. And if we don't turn regularly and have that shaped by the scriptures, by the very word of God, there will be times when we stand uncertain as to whether God loves us, uncertain as to whether we're forgiven, uncertain as to whether God even likes us. Status anxiety from a spiritual perspective. And that was never God's intention. 
He wants us to be clear about what he has done for us and how we stand before him. And so when the enemy seeks to make us doubt, the word of God must be our authority in the moment to declare who we are in God. It's the word of God that enables us not simply to defend ourselves, but like Jesus, to go on the offensive against the enemy. Now, have you ever noticed when you read Acts chapter 2 that the Apostle Peter had no sermon notes? None whatsoever. Didn't even have an iPad in front of him in the moment. And yet when the Spirit of God comes upon him, because he knows the Scripture, the Spirit is able to take the Scripture and apply it to a huge crowd of people in Jerusalem who hear it and are impacted by it. When you read Peter's sermon, he speaks from the second chapter of Joel. He preaches from the Psalms. He brings the verses together to present Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and using the word of God for who he is. And the word is so powerful that the Bible tells us the crowd were cut to the heart. Word and spirit came together and the crowd were cut to the heart by the power of that. They said, what must we do? What's our response? Jesus said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a moment in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen gets dragged in front of the high priest. And there's so much scripture in him that when the spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and the scriptures actually say Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit, he declares accurately the scriptures one after one as they pertain to Jesus. And Luke, who writes the book of Acts, says this, they stopped their ears. The word was so powerful, word and spirit came together so powerfully, they stopped their ears before they stoned him. Now, so if you stick your fingers in the ears this morning, I'll just assume the word of God is so powerful that you can't cope with it anymore. That's how I'm going to take it. Okay. When Philip was moved by the spirit to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he began by giving insight into the passage the man was reading, Isaiah 53, Word and spirit working together and eventually the Ethiopian man says, what stops me from being baptized? The chariot stops, he gets down and there he is born again to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And in all these events we see spirit and word working together for the glory of God and blessing of mankind. And I pray that these events will help us to remember, friends, listen, the word of God is our authority in the moment. See, all these men had soaked themselves in the truth. They weren't casual readers of God's word. They weren't careless about the Bible. They soaked themselves. They had learned truth, and it was in them. They discovered in these moments what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, when he says this, the weapons that we fight with, they're not carnal. In other words, they're not the weapons of this world. They're not earthly weapons. But the weapons that we fight with are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. That's what they are. And we say, well, hang on just a minute. I pray and I haven't seen much change in that situation. And that might be true. But we have to believe that when we pray, God hears anyway. And when the time comes right, God will move. We have the word of God and we declare it because sometimes the Holy Spirit challenges us to and we speak the word of God out and nothing happens in the moment and we can think that there's no power in this but in the right time, God will fulfill his word. He said, my word will not return to me void but it will accomplish that for which I have spoken it. These weapons that we fight with, they are not carnal. Fasting, the word of God, prayer, worship, They are not carnal. 
they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. You see, these men that we read about in the book of Acts, and then uh, later on we read through the life of Paul and others, these men, it wasn't just that they knew some verses, they got into the truth, and the truth got into them. They got into the truth, and the truth got into them. And because the truth was in them, when the Spirit of God moved on them, the truth came out with great power. I pray for myself that I'll get more of the truth in me. More of God's word. I pray for you too, that the word of God will become this exciting thing which is revealing the truth about our creator God. We need it in us. So as the spirit of God led them, the word of God became their authority in these situations. And there is another reason that we need to learn to correctly handle and to know the word of God. And it's this. God is bigger and more infinitely powerful than Satan. God is bigger and more infinitely powerful than Satan. God is the creator. Satan is a created being. God is bigger and more infinitely powerful than Satan. Some people have spoken to me over the last few weeks about a message they heard about Jesus calming the storm. And in the message, the speaker told them that the reason the storm came up was because demons didn't want Jesus to reach the man called Legion chained up in the graveyard. I have two major problems with that. Here's the first one. It's not in the text. Did Jesus get in a boat? Yes, it's in the text. Did he fall asleep on a cushion? Yes, it's in the text. Did a storm blow up? Yes, it's in the text. Did they have to wake him? Yes, it's in the text. Did he rebuke the storm and the storm go quiet? Yes, it's in the text. Did the boat make it to the other side? Yes, it's in the text. Did demons cause the storm? I haven't a clue. The Bible doesn't say so. (laughs) So my first problem is that the Bible doesn't say demons created the storm. So we can't take that as something that we can stand on. Secondly, because it doesn't say it, it seems to me that if you interpret it wrongly in this way, you give more credence to the enemy than he deserves. God is infinitely bigger and stronger than Satan is. And we need to understand that. And we used to use God's word as our authority in the moment. There's a wonderful thing in John's first letter where he writes to the church, probably at Ephesus, and he says something very challenging, as far as I'm concerned, to the young men in the church there. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God is in you and you have overcome the evil one. You're strong. The word of God's in you. You've got into the truth and the truth has got into you. And through that you have overcome the evil one. The word of God had become a powerful weapon for those godly young men in that desperate city called Ephesus. That city full of immorality and gambling and all kinds of things. There were young men who stood for the truth of Jesus Christ. The word was in them. It was their authority in their mind. Let me return for a moment, because time's running on, to these passages in Matthew 3 and 4. They're very familiar. But in each case, Jesus declares the word of God in order to attack and defeat the enemy's temptations. Listen, not just to bash them away, but to attack and defeat the enemy's accusations. He goes on the attack. Satan says this, 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 and this. Jesus says, yes, but the word of God says... That's not just being defensive. That's going on the offensive. 
chapter, in verse 3 of chapter 4, the enemy wants to cause Jesus status anxiety. Look at the question, if you are the Son of God. If. If I had one prayer for us this morning, it would be that every believer in Jesus Christ would leave this place knowing that they're a child of the Most High. That would be my prayer. Knowing that whatever happens tomorrow, or even this afternoon or this evening, it doesn't change anything. We're still children of the Most High God. When the enemy attacks us to whether we're really God's children, we need to have learned what the Scripture says. John's Gospel, chapter 1, John writes these words, He came unto his own, but his own received him not, but to as many as did receive him, Jesus. To them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour? If you have, you're a child of the Most High God. Nothing's going to change it. Romans chapter 8, we read these wonderful words, For you did not receive a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship, by which you cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the sons of God. If we are sons, then we are heirs, heirs of the Father, and joint heirs of the Son, if indeed we share in his sufferings. It is the word of God, our authority, in the moment when the enemy says, Do you think you really are? Do you think he really loves you? Do you think he cares? Do you feel like a child of God? Those are not the questions. We go on the attack. The word of God says, it's my authority in the moment. Verses 5 to 7, the enemy tempts Jesus to do something to test God's love and care for him. God's protection of him. Verses 5 to 7. I remember many, many years ago being at Fraysthorpe Camp. Some of you will know where that is, on the east coast, just to the south of Bridlington. Beautiful, beautiful place. We had a camp there every year. And there was no light pollution. You could stand up at night and you could look at the dark night sky. You could see stars. And one year, there were a whole load of, what are they, they asteroids? I don't know, I'm afraid. But there were shooting stars going, meteorites. No one's helping me. I think you understand where I'm coming from. Um, they were flying around the sky like wildfire, and it was a beautiful sight to see. But some people stayed in their tents for a while and then came out when the kind of show was over. And a friend of mine came and talked. I said to him, did you see any? He said, no. And, and I really understand this. I'm, I want to be really sensitive. But he said this. He said, I've prayed, God, if you love me, let me see a shooting star. I really understand that prayer. But I have a massive problem with it. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2,000 years ago on a cross just outside Jerusalem, the matter of whether God loved the world or not was settled once and for all. The matter of whether God loves you or not was settled once and for all. Christ died for you. It's there in the Word. And the Word of God, friends, needs to be our authority in the moment. Status anxiety for us. Does God love us? Of course He does. The Word of God says so. Lamentations chapter 3. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His mercy is new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with cords 
of compassion. Psalm 103 tells us God crowns us with love and compassion. John 3.16 explains the whole of Scripture almost in one short verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 tells us, as we've already said, it was while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Does God love you? Let's use an unbiblical phrase. You bet he does. You bet he does. He loves you this morning, whoever you are. And the word of God is our authority in the moment. Then Matthew 4, verses 8 onwards, the enemy comes to encourage Jesus to worship someone or something other than his father. It's easy. It might be materialism. Let me say I can't prove this from Scripture. I'm just thinking and imagining. I'm not saying the Scripture says this. But I sometimes think about Gehazi, the man who was servant to Elisha, who was servant to Elijah and I wonder if Gehazi missed the anointing Elijah is swept up to heaven in a whirlwind chariots of fire come by and you know the story his cloak comes off and Elisha picks it up and Elisha's wondering has this anointing of Elijah come onto me and he rolls the cloak up and he hits it on the river and the waters open and he walks across he shouts out where now is the God of Elijah it's a prayer to pray isn't it for our nation Go home and ask God, where's the God of Elijah? Where is the God of Elijah in our nation today? He prays that prayer and the river opens and he walks across. And people say, the spirit that was on Elijah, it's now on Elisha. And then, I don't know how long passes, but Naaman comes to see Elisha. And Naaman's got leprosy and he's going to die. But Elisha says, here's what you do. You go dip in the river seven times and you will be cleansed. And eventually Naaman agrees. He comes out of the river the seven times and he's completely healed. And he is so overjoyed, he'll give Elisha anything he wants. He says, you can have clothing. You can have money. I've got it with you. How much do you want? It's all yours, Elisha, if you want it. Elisha says, no way. I will not take any money for what God has done. Incidentally, if anyone says to you, send me $50 and I'll give you a healing miracle, will you please walk away from them? <laughs> the gifts of God are not up for sale to the highest bidder. <laughs> Gehazi says in his heart, my master has been too lenient on Naaman. And without telling Elijah, he goes back and he concocts a story. Two prophets have arrived at our house today and we need some extra clothing and some money. Would you mind? And Naaman is so full of his healing, he doesn't care. He gives him clothes and he gives him money. And Gehazi takes them home and hides them in his house. He thinks nobody knows. And he goes to see Elijah. Elijah says, where have you been, Gehazi? Gehazi says, I haven't been anywhere. Have your kids ever told you that? <laughs> Nothing been doing anything but the prophetic spirit that's on Elisha knows it all and Elisha says was not my spirit with you when you went and saw Naaman and you took those gifts and at the end of this conversation Gehazi walks away covered in leprosy 
I can't tell you why, because the Bible doesn't say specifically why, and I don't want to do what I've challenged earlier in my sermon, but I wonder if materialism got in the way of the anointing, possibly, for Gehazi. See, we're not to have any other gods before him. There comes a choice sometimes where we get the extra, better, bigger job, and if God wants that for you, go for it. We need people of influence, but for some people it will rob them of what God actually wants to do in and out of their life. And the word of God needs to be our authority in that moment as we submit to him. So in Jesus, in Peter, in Stephen, in Philip, and in Paul, we have this legacy handed to us that we, like them, might be people of spirit and of word. People who know the truth and the truth is in them. People who are open to the filling, filling of the spirit. People who have come to truly believe that the weapons we fight with are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, whether quickly or eventually people who will listen to the spirit and declare the living word of God years ago I heard the story of a Welsh street preacher his name was Willie Evans he was not the famous Willie Evans he was almost unknown except to those around him and they said about him that he had a kind of ministry of last resort in other words very often he would go somewhere and the Holy Spirit would say go speak to that man or woman about Jesus and he'd go and speak to them and Uh, Within a short period of time of them having made a decision for Jesus, they would pass away. And it it happened again and again with him. Probably you didn't want him to come and share the gospel with you, just in case. But but that was his gift. Probably if you saw him coming, you thought, "Mm, you know. But he had a ministry of last resort. They tell the story about him that one day the Holy Spirit said to him, I want you to go to this particular town and stand in this particular street and preach the gospel. It was freezing. It was a winter's day. He put on his hat, his coat, his gloves. There was nobody about. He got on the bus, traveled to the town, found the street, stood in the middle of it. Very often in those days, people would have their windows and doors open. Even if they were cleaning or tidying, whatever, someone would be able to hear the gospel message. But not a single window or door was open in the street, apart from one upstairs, very narrowly open, and a bedroom. Willie Evans did the whole thing in his overcoat and hat and gloves. He preached for 25 minutes the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he made an appeal. Nothing. No doors open. No windows open. Nothing at all. And then he prayed a prayer of commitment. Then he closed his Bible and began to move. And there was a flicker of movement at the window where the window was partly open. And then a few moments later, because he waited, the door opened and a man beckoned him in and took him upstairs. And round the rafters in that roof, there was a noose on a rope and a man ready to take his own life. But that morning, in response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Willie Evans preached the gospel of Jesus Christ from the word of God. And word and spirit came together to save a man's life for eternity. I don't know about you. But I want to be a man of spirit and of words. I want this place to be a place where the word of God is declared with clarity in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to see God's kingdom come through word and spirit. So here's my prayer. That as the spirit prompts us, and the word of God is our authority in the moment, may we hear his voice, engage with his word, and may the label word and spirit be true about this community 
for Jesus' sake, but also for Leeds' sake. Amen. Shall we pray together? Let's pray.